Cincinnati jersey all on the block. We get it in. I'm in my Cincinnati house. Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, how's it going, buddy? Coomer, do you love me? Oh, boy. Are you riding? Oh, God. It's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. Hummer, you are far too excited to be playing Drake this week. The only college in America that is officially named after a rapper. Incredible history that program has. What do you know about Drake? Well, Drake, you know, he visited Cincinnati several times over the past few years. This will be the first time they've played each other, though, since 1974. I bet that's the year that Drake, Aubrey himself, was born. Unfortunately not. <laughs> interesting interesting stuff about Drake, though. Uh, not, to, not to harp on too much on the past, but Drake was actually a, is a member of the Missouri Valley Conference. That was the conference that Cincinnati belonged to when we won the national championships. Uh, there actually is a pretty extensive history with Drake. Um, I'll be, we haven't played since 1974. They are, if you look at the list of the top schools that we have played the most, they come in right at number 18. We've played them 30 times out in, throughout our history. We own the series 22-8. to 8. Um, Like I said, most recently 1974. Very interesting, Hummer. Uh, glad to hear it. Hopefully, we're building upon our, our frustration of last week with a couple victories this week against Drake and Alabama A&M. But before we get there, Massive news out of the American Athletic Conference this week. News broke that James Wiseman of the Memphis Tigers was deemed ineligible to play by the NCAA due to his family allegedly receiving $11,500 from Penny Hardaway himself to fund their move to Memphis, Tennessee. This was prior to Penny being the head coach of the Memphis Tigers. Since then, however, a Shelby County judge halted the NCAA's ruling for the time being, making Wiseman actually eligible to play. What are your thoughts on this whole thing? You know, first off, in situations like this, I think it takes some finesse. You don't want to jump straight into conclusions about what's going on. You know, I'm, I'm really actually was excited to see Wiseman play. Well, when Penny pulled in all of these recruits, you know, there's, there's a few of them, but James Wiseman was the headliner. A lot of people did joke, you know, being the new Calipari, when are they going to have their season revoked? This one, this one went 0-100 to 100 real quick. I did not expect Wiseman to have this kind of eligibility issue this early into the season. It does make the conference a little more wide open. It's not a situation where, you know, you're the Patriots and you lose Antonio Brown and you go from being Super Bowl favorites to Super Bowl favorites. You go from being favored to win the conference without James Wiseman, you probably go, they're not going to fall far. It's not like they're going to fall off a cliff and be irrelevant. But they definitely go into more of a number two, maybe even a number three, maybe moves us up into having it because James Wiseman is their Jaron Cumberland. So it's right. definitely going to be felt throughout the league. Right. Going into the season, we knew this was a three horse race for the American Athletic Conference championship. Uh, clearly, Memphis, with the talent they brought in this season, was going to be a front runner. We're the defending champs. We're bringing back the American Athletic Conference player of the year. I thought we're clearly a contender for the championship as well. And Houston appears to be uh, a loaded roster as well. And with Kelvin Sampson, you certainly can't rule them out. If James Wiseman ends up not playing a majority this season, that dramatically alters the outlook for the conference. 
I think Memphis is still a very talented team, but based on what I saw and how they were playing the game of basketball, that team was going to be tough to take down this season. I'd love mm-hmm. to, an opportunity to do so with the full roster. I'd like to beat Wiseman on the court, but as it stands, it definitely looks pretty iffy as to whether he's going to actually be able to play this season, which is quite unfortunate for him, quite unfortunate for college basketball fans, eh, but maybe not so bad for Bearcat fans. That's why, Mr. Hardaway, today we have some tips for you. Well, clearly, Hummer, you, you're on the right track here. This incident definitely reveals that Penny needs a crash course in what I would call creative recruiting. We Here's what, here's what I think the Cincy Slang and podcast should do. What I'd like to do, we look to three of the greatest to ever do it for answers. I'm going to welcome everybody to the Bill Self Rick Pitino, and Sean Miller School for Alleged Bag Dropping. First rule, cold, hard cash. King in the world of transactions, this method requires two things. One, no paper trail. Two, don't deliver the money yourself. Number, the second thing, get creative. I mean, you're dealing with hard cash, but let's get creative. Encourage your assistance your assistant coaches to coordinate wild sex parties using sex workers during recruiting visits. However, make sure that you are completely unaware of these unscrupulous activities. And as always, do not leave a paper trail. Provide condoms. Third rule, incorporate gifts. You're torn between cash and gifts? Why not both? Instead of a bag, deliver the cash inside of a pair of the newest shoes from your school's respective sponsor. Two birds, one stone. And finally, find your fall guy, an assistant coach, an aspiring agent, a savvy opportunist, a datus. Make sure you protect yourself by finding the right people for your program. But remember, plausible deniability remains key. Penny, I hope you found those tips helpful. You got to do better, buddy. If you're going to play with the big boys and get the top recruits, you're going to have to be a little more... Uh, discreet with your transactions. Yes, discreet is the name of the game here. Uh, the the big key here, Penny, is if you're going to take our advice and you do get creative, it's you want to get caught after your players have delivered championships, not before. That is, that is one of the big keys. Enough with the silliness, Hummer. Cincinnati did take a tough loss last week, Hummer. We spent some time getting in our feelings about that loss to Ohio State last week. Since then, Coach John Brandon had his first radio show, spent some time with Dan Horde talking about what he liked, what he didn't like, and also answering questions from the audience. I thought there were some pretty good takeaways from that interview. Did you have a chance to check it out? Yeah, I did have a chance to te- check out that interview. You know, some of the some of the things that that sticks out in in my mind about that interview, John Brandon is clearly an analytical guy. Uh, he likes to to take things from a, a much higher level, but it, it really he talked about some stuff that necessarily we didn't really talk about in our initial reaction. That was the shot selection. You know, we thought, or at least I did, or I thought that they had you know in the first half some open opportunities that they didn't they didn't take advantage of. But Brandon was looking at it from a completely different side, saying he saw a number of opportunities of shots that they took where they should have waited for the next shot. So it's it's kind of 
encouraging to see that. He also made a comment about being an undisciplined team, but he didn't place the blame on the team. He placed it on himself, saying that's a result of an undisciplined coach. And he's saying, we will not have an undisciplined team. I, I really thought that was a nice, from my perspective, a nice change of pace from a coach who's literally who's w- willing to take a, a look at himself and say, well, I need to get better as well. No, it was a refreshing interview. I I did laugh a couple times in terms of John Brandon's obsession with numbers. I'm a numbers guy myself. I love talking about them. But Terry Nelson and Dan Horde were the two interviewers in this case. And listening to Terry Nelson, I actually got the feeling a couple of times where Terry Nelson was saying, yeah, all right, enough with the numbers. Like, uh, do you, we don't have to have a number for anything. It did make me wonder how his ability to communicate and relate to the players in a way that's not so rigid and analytical. And toward the end of the interview, he did bring it home, basically saying, I like considering all these numbers. I like diving into the research. I like my assistant coaches diving into the research. But we don't muddy the waters in terms of um, overwhelming players with this types of type of information. This data that he acquires is typically used more so in uh, a broad coaching aspect. He's not micromanaging it, managing it in terms of how players play on a day-to-day or, or game-to-game basis. Yeah, he did. He definitely brought that up. He also hit on the fact that, and this was something that kind of, you know, stood out too, is that he lets his, he lets his, literally his assistants take over that, but they're charting everything in practice, how many shots guys are making from where, and they're incorporating that into where they actually need to be on the court. And it was, he made an interesting point that with Ohio State, we weren't getting the shots that his guys typically makes. And that's where that shot selection comes away. When we see an open shot, to him, that may not be the best shot for that player, which I thought was really interesting. It's To me, it's saying that he's really taking the analytics to a higher level, which, you know, we've only had 31 practices. I've seen people kind of going crazy on on social media about, you know, the, the lack of, the lack of, or I guess everything, we've had 31 practices. We should be better than this. Like, that's not a lot no. to to incorporate a whole new system. It's not. It's a it's a shocking transition for the players. I mean, the, the type of coaching they're getting now is night and day with what they were previously receiving with Mick Cronin. So especially for those returning players, the players that John Brandon has routinely said he needs to get in the deep end, I'm not surprised if there's some apprehension about doing it the John Brandon way. This team had a lot of success before he got here. We won a lot of games, but now he's asking them to completely buy into what he's doing and what he's selling without and it's, it's just going to be hard to build that trust it's going to take some time it's a completely different style it's a faster pace faster decision making and much less reliance on one player so when you say john brandon makes mention of bad shots or shots that we're not practicing in, in practice i have to think he's probably hitting hard on jaron cumberland in that case jaron cumberland in that game took a few shots that were step back fadeaways mid-range jump shots, a couple of them he airballed. And I like Jaron Jaron Cumberland in isolation. I think we need to see more of Jaron Cumberland in isolation built into the offense. But at the same time, he he is trying to condition it into Jaron's game that there's a time and a place, and those are not the shots that we're going to win on. We're not going to win consistently shooting that type of shot. I also found it interesting. I think it might have been Dan Horde. It could have been Terry. Honestly, I can't. I can't remember who mentioned it when, in reference to Jaron Cumberland and talking about, you know, Brandon making him a better all-around basketball player, quote unquote, making him NBA ready. And 
I kind of it made me think back to one of the one of our guests that we had on with Demar Johnson saying, "Well, what?" Can, and we asked him that exact question: "What can Jaron Cumberland do to get NBA ready?" And someone in that interview, in a sense, same alluded to the same thing without saying it, that he can't get bigger, he can't get get taller, he can't get faster. But Cumberland is definitely not conditioned right now. He definitely came out sluggish. He he looked tired. He wasn't ready to carry the offense on his back. So. From that standpoint, I, I like that 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 Brandon addressed that need to get Cumberland in the shape, uh, and I like the fact that I'm hearing Terry Nelson also saying, "Well, hey, this guy needs to this guy needs to get better, and he needs to get more condition because Cumberland has some natural some natural talents that we've all known he's had ever since he's come here. He's been a, a fantastic passer, great vision on the court." And he's he's an okay ball, okay, but he's more than okay, but he's a good ball handler, not necessarily point guard, you know, material, but definitely a, a good, a good solid wing. And I was really excited to see that we're all saying we're all on the same page from a fan perspective, from from Dan Hor's perspective, from Coach Brandon's perspective on what Cumberland needs to do. To me, that shows that there's a clear path to get Jaron to where he needs to be come January in conference play. It's a long season, and I, I definitely think that's got to be priority number one from Brandon is how do I get Jaron completely bought into this system? Because in my opinion, his game fits it perfectly. Jaron is a high IQ player. He makes incredibly high IQ passes. He's immensely talented in the isolation situation. The key now is get your conditioning up, get bought into the system, and set the tone for the entire team. He does those things. John Brandon on senior night will be t- telling the crowd, Jaron Cumberland is the best I ever had. One more thing I wanted to touch on, Hummer. The night of the game, and I even saw it carry over to the day after, there was a lot of chatter about the referees and, and how bad the officiating was. And I, I guess the insinuation was, that's what cost us the game. Breaking news to Bearcat fans, and this is really college basketball fans everywhere. College referees are not good, period. They are, there's, there's not high-level refereeing happening at the college level. Every single game we watch, we're going to see missed calls. We're going to see calls that go in the other team's favor, but we're also going to see calls that go in our favor. When I looked at the stats of that game, the game flow, the actual game itself, what happened, what transpired, in no way can I attribute that loss to the referees. We missed open shots. We shot 33% from the field. We weren't taking care of the ball. We were fouling. I mean, the, the fact is, I know we probably have a few fouls that, didn't, that weren't deserved. We were fouling. I'm just saying we can do better. Yeah, I think we can do better from that standpoint, too. Blaming the refs is an easy out. It's the easy thing to do instead of looking and saying, well, what did this team do wrong? I don't think that in throughout this season, I don't want to be harping on on the referees. We know, like you said, it's a great point. It's college basketball. You're going to get a wide ver- a varying degree of, of officiating from good to bad. And I mean, literally, we're going to go down to the Paradise Jam in, in St. Thomas and play Western Kentucky, Bowling Green, Illinois State. And I doubt we're going to have high quality referees there, but at the same time playing against Ohio state and, and, and what they're looking for, if you're looking at the mandate from the NCAA, it seems like they want to make the game more like the NBA. They would like teams to honestly stop doing those things, but the players just really aren't of the talent to be able to adjust their game to make it to be exact mimic of the NBA product. 
Yeah, I just for, for us personally, the Cincy Slanging podcast, I don't think it's going to be anything we ever uh, specifically focus on. The focus of this podcast is Bearcats basketball, how we're playing, how we're executing, what we're doing to hinder the other opponent and actually win these games. If we're getting hung up on things like officiating, I think we're worse for it. That's just our two cents. Heading into this week, Hummer, I think it's worth talking about what we can do to get on the, the victory board. We've got two games coming up this week, as mentioned earlier on the podcast. We're playing Drake. We're playing Alabama A&M. We are seeing a dramatic dip in quality of play in terms of who our opponent is. Ken Palm, our boy, he rates uh, Drake as the 138th best team in the country. Alabama A&M is the 350th best team in the country. What that tells me is we don't need to spend time specifically worrying about what Drake brings to the table and what Alabama A&M brings to the table. Instead, I'd rather discuss what we want to see from the team this week in terms of uh, improvements upon the OSU game. Yeah, um, I think the the key that we're going to want to see in improvements from the Ohio State game is the easiest one. Brandon pointed it out. That's what he wants to see, better shot selection. He wants to see the guys hitting their high percentage shots. Uh, I'm honestly going to look to see some better play. I know people are, are lauding Chris Vogt and, and Jace Rolla for their play against Ohio State, but I actually want to see better. Um, I want to see better decisions from them. I want to see more of the the middle of the first half or, uh, for for Jace Rolla, where he played with three fouls, didn't didn't end up getting committing another one, but played smart basketball, was a real presence in the game because when he's in with his height. He's going to be a presence and a, and a problem. That he's going to be something, a force to be dealt with. That's a huge deal. So I want to see that. That's a huge deal. So Chris Vogt and Jay Sarola in particular, we're clearly going to see a lot of minutes out of them. They have won the starting job and also the backup job for our center position. Mamadou Diara seems like he's going to be less of a, of a contributor on the team this year. And that's just an early indication. Hopefully things turn around. But at this point, the center position is going to, to vote and Sarola. Looking at at some advanced metrics about the foul rates from these two players, Chris Vogt in particular last year had a 7.7 foul rate, which means he commits almost eight fouls per 40 minutes of basketball. We have to see that improve. He has to keep himself out of foul trouble, despite maybe the lack of, of, of high-level offensive skill that either of these players have. It's not like I want to see the ball thrown into them in the post. Both of them are enormous over seven feet tall, near 260 pounds each. These are players that are going to be incredibly disruptive on the defensive side of the ball, and we need to find a way to keep them on the court so as to avoid Trey Scott having to do too much on the defensive end. Because after that, we do not have a lot of options on, on in the front court. Yeah, you're 100% right. We can't be whipping on two twos with these guys on the court in the first half. You know, They definitely need to be... Uh, smart with their with their foul, be able to stay on the court. You know, f- for these guys, you know, this this is for my underdogs out there on the court. You know, th- these guys, you know, they're they're clearly playing a role that's important for the team, and they're not going to be the best centers in the game. But their 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 presence on the court can be felt because, like you mentioned, their size. They're they're big guys. They're big bodies. They're going to be able to post up. And I know we just talked about Drake not being necessarily a great, great showpiece for competition, but they're a team that's really short. They're not, they're not a tall team. They're going to be playing a guy out there who's my height, 5'11". And 
frankly, having a guy like Jason Rolla is going to be very tough for those guys to deal with down low. So Jason Rolla, Chris Vogt, I would actually expect them to have good games against against a team like Drake. Uh, but I definitely think that's very important moving forward that we keep those guys on the court. Their their defensive presence is is very is going to be very well known throughout the season. Well, I think one thing we really need to see is on the offensive side of the ball, we need to see dramatic improvement. If the competition level is dropping, we should see a more effective offensive output. And so I want to see the John Brandon concepts actually executed well. And I'm not saying, let me correct that. I want to see John Brandon adjust and get Jaron Cumberland more involved in the offense early on in the game. To me, for as good as Jaron Cumberland is, we can't just allow him to be a piece that's sitting on the wing waiting for the ball to be passed him, passed to him near the end of the shot clock. I don't want Jaron Cumberland to be a bailout player. I want Jaron Cumberland to be the feature player throughout the game. Now, I think Brandon's insinuating that Jaron's not quite good enough in good enough shape yet to carry the offense throughout the game. I'm not saying give it to him possession in, possession out, uh, riding him throughout the entire game, but I think there are small tweaks to the offense Brandon can make so that after the ball is rotating around and kicking out, it ends up in Jaron's hands in a position where he's attacking one-on-one with space on the court, and he can actually drive, draw an additional defender, kick it out to an open shooter, or if they don't send the help, finish at the rim because he is exceptional at doing that. Let's make sure Jaron remains a high priority. Pick up the offense, offensive efficiency. We still should see a very high usage out of Jaron Cumberland. Lastly, Hummer, when we are paying, playing lower quality competition like this, and I don't want to sleep on Drake. Drake appears to have some offensive firepower. I do think they have the ability to knock down a three-point shot. I'm not saying overlook them. By no means am I saying that. But when we are playing teams that we should defeat, not only I want to see a situation where we're shutting them down on the defensive end, we're executing on offense, and we're getting players like Zach Harvey, players like Micah Adams-Woods, if we're not redshirting him, get them in the game, get them some experience on the court, allow them to execute in a real live game situation. So hopefully, my hope is that especially in Zach Harvey's case, we are seeing him on the court with a higher dosage of minutes in a role that that he could potentially be playing more long term. One thing I'd like to see, um, I got I was embarrassed on on Wednesday. My boy Trey Scott went 0 for 7 from the field after hearing John Brandon's comments about shot selection and replaying in my mind some of the shots that that uh, Trey Scott took. It, it, I can't remember a single shot actually that he wasn't contested open or dr- maybe driving to the driving to the hoop with with a uh, with a highly contested shot. He needs to have better shot selection if he's going to help me def- avoid the beer mile. Uh, so I, I would like to see that. Are you upset? I'm upset. I'm upset. Um, we've got a fun week ahead of us. Looking forward to watching the games and seeing improvement from the team. I'm not discouraged by the Ohio State game. I, I sensed a lot of frustration with the fan base on Twitter and just from talking to folks who, who I know like the Bearcats. There's too much of an overreaction to that first game. I don't want to, I'm not saying you can't criticize and we can't seek opportunities for improvement based on the results of that game. Clearly we should, but it's the first game out of a long season. There, this is a new program, new system, and in my opinion, we saw the foundation of what's going to be a more effective offense long term. And to me, 
it's God's plan that we're going to remain the top of the AAC conference, especially if James Wiseman's not going to be playing basketball anymore. That's an that's a conference altering outcome for the for uh, for the nation. And I'm disappointed. I think he looks immensely talented. He's fun to watch play, but from a selfish perspective, we're going back to back. So just hold on. We're going home. We're playing Drake. We got Alabama A&M coming up. We're going to have two victories on the books here. It's a great day to be a Bearcat fan. We've reached that time of the podcast, Hummer. It's time to dedicate this episode to a former Bearcat great. Who do you have in mind this week? If I'm not mistaken, you're the one who uh, just did some some research and some, put some tender love and care into it. And True, true. I'm, I'm, I'm burying the lead. We're playing Drake. We're playing Alabama A&M. This is the week we should be able to unleash the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast's official hashtag for the basketball team. It's time to bust out the victory cigars. And with that in mind, when we're up by 20-plus in the last two minutes of these games, I want to see Rob Banks. I want to see John Kaz. I want to see Sam Martin enter the game and get their chance to shine. And so with that in mind, that's why this week's episode of the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast will be dedicated to the legendary John Meeker. John Meeker, this episode is for you. Cheers. Cheers for my underdogs.